Let me invite you to take a Bible and to open up with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 this morning will be the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah you can find about halfway through your Bible. If you opened up your Bible about halfway and went slightly to the right, you would find yourself in uh, the prophet uh, Isaiah. I want to begin this morning by, by reading some of this week's main news headlines. On a mission to murder, a couple who carried out massacre that killed 14 left behind pipe bombs, IED facility. Rape crisis. UK jets target ISIS oil field and money. Vladimir Putin said, Turkey will regret downing jet. As you know, this is just a sampling of some of the most recent news headlines. And church, the world is in chaos. Well, there are many good things in this world. There are many good things in life. We are not promised any of those things. Though as citizens of this nation, many of us have been fortunate to experience more of those than some around the world. But even so, all of us will face hardship. All of us will face tragedy. All of us eventually will experience suffering. There is injustice in the world. There are people dealing with sickness, people grieving the loss of loved ones. This life is no walk in the park. This is not a world of peace. It never really has been. Now, I want to remind us this morning from God's Word that there is one who is in control. And not only is he in control, the one in control is good. And for this reason, because God is good, eventually on this, in his good plan on this earth, there will be peace. There will be perpetual peace for all those who know Him and enjoy His abundant blessings. But if we only had what we see and what we experience, what we touch and what we feel in this life to go by, then no doubt we would have to conclude that this world is spiraling out of control. After all, there are people bent on taking innocent lives. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are national and political leaders that want to destroy other nations and peoples. There is a king who is unlike any king on this earth, past, present, and future. And his kingdom is far greater and far mightier and far outlives any other kingdom to ever exist on this earth and And that one, that king prophesied or spoke through the prophet Isaiah, as recorded in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, saying, He will judge between the nations. And he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And that judge, folks, is the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. He is the one who rules and reigns for all of eternity. And for this reason, Isaiah spoke to the people of God and could tell them in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, he could say, Come, descendants of Jacob, 
Or it's come, people of faith, come, ones who are called by God, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Church, as people of faith in the God of Scripture, though we live in a dark world that appears to be hopeless, we know the one who is the light of the world. We know the light of the Lord. We have hope in Him because we know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have hope that eventually we will feel the fullness of the peace that comes from knowing the one who is the Prince of Peace. And this morning, we're going to look back so that we can look forward at this peace that comes from God. So let me invite you to look with me in God's Word at Isaiah chapter 9. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. And as you're finding your way there, just a a bit of background about Isaiah and what we'll read this morning. Isaiah was a prophet of God that prophesied to the people of God, the nation of Israel, in the latter part of the 8th century B.C., before, during, and after the attacks and invasion of the Assyrians. When the Assyrians came in and took over the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. So to say that the Israelites experienced a time of instability during Isaiah's prophecy would be an understatement. They experienced hardship. They experienced attacks. They experienced many threats from, from pagan surrounding kings. And it would be less than 150 years later that the southern kingdom of Judah would also fall at the hand of the Babylonians. Yet Isaiah prophesies, and through Isaiah, God tells his people that he is still in control, that he is still on the throne. In fact, that this judgment on his people is all part of his plan, ultimately to bring about their repentance and their faithfulness to him once again. Peace would come, but it hadn't come yet. In fact, it hasn't fully come yet, even now, in the 21st century. And the reason that The world is not a place of peace today. It's the same reason that it wasn't a place of peace in Isaiah's time. And it's not a place of peace because of human pride and sin. Church, because of human pride, there is no peace. Because of human pride, there is no no peace. This is the contextual background of what we're about to read from Isaiah chapter 9 and this is the contextual background of where we are in the world today that ever since the fall of man in the garden of Eden all of us all men and women boys and girls past present and future have a bent towards sin all of us are steeped in sin steeped in pride and deep down often think that we are more valuable than anyone else and that our ways are better than anyone else's. And it was this pride that led King Ahaz, as recorded in Isaiah chapter 7, to to ignore the, the words of the Lord and to put his trust in a pagan king. And it's this same pride that often leads nations and leaders to take up wars and battles against other people in the world today. Yet even so, church, there is hope. There is hope for us gathered together this morning. There is is hope in a Savior who brings redemption to God's people and a kingdom of everlasting peace. And we see a glimpse of this here in Isaiah chapter 9. So let me invite you to stand with me now for the reading of God's Word. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning 
in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, speaking of God, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of, of Naphtali. These were two northernmost kingdoms in Israel who had experienced early attacks and hardship at the hands of the Assyrians. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. And you know, church, that Messiah who would come with the bulk of his ministry in the region of Galilee. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plumber, the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Father, we ask that you would speak to us now as we look at your word together by the power of your spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Church, though pride destroys peace, though human pride diminishes peace and limits peace on this earth, there is a God whose might is matchless and whose purposes are planned and whose purposes will come about. And He is a God of peace. Church, God is the source of peace. Though human pride limits peace, God is the source of all peace. We see this right here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Though trouble and unrest and heartache and hurt abound in this world, Jesus the Messiah sits on the throne. And He rules and He reigns and He will for all of eternity. And He is the Prince of Peace. His plans will come about. His plans of redeeming a people for Himself that will forever enjoy the the peace of knowing God through Him. For to us, a child is born. To us, church, a son is given. And the government will be on His shoulders. And He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the, the promised Messiah, the one that we celebrate His birth at this time of year. The one who came to us, God in the flesh, it's by God's grace that He came to us. By God's grace, He is a gift to us. For to us, a child is born, Isaiah prophesied. To us, a son is given. And He is the only hope of a world that is steeped in sin and spiraling further and further out of control. But thankfully, He is a God of peace. Scripture reminds us throughout that God is 
the source of peace, that he is a God of peace. We read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, can be ours. We lift our request to him. The peace of God comes from God. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, Paul reminds us that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God is the source of peace. He is the Prince of Peace who who will take every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood and make them as obsolete as the swords and the spears mentioned in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. Church, God is the source of peace and His kingdom will be a king of everlasting peace for His people. God's kingdom will be one of everlasting peace for His people. That's kingdom will be the kingdom of peace forever, always, never ending, perpetual peace for those who know Him, who've been reconciled to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the audience of Isaiah's prophecy must have wondered, how can this be? How could a a king sit on a throne forever? How could a kingdom never end How could there be unending peace? And the answer is found in the final phrase of of this passage. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, because God has said it is so. Because the one who holds all things in his hands has declared this to be. We can rest assured that it will come about. Promising the Savior, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace who would come to us. Ultimately was born the Virgin Mary in humble circumstances so that He might go to the cross and give His life in our place as a substitutionary sacrifice for your sin and for my sin because we had rebelled against God. That God in His power might raise Him from the dead, bringing Him back to life, declaring His victory over sin and the grave that that whoever puts their trust in Him will be forgiven of sin and reconciled to God and live forevermore knowing God. I invite you to turn to the right in your Bibles. You can stay in Isaiah, but turning far to the right in this book to Isaiah chapter 53, where we read about this peace being applied to, to us. Perhaps, perhaps one of the clearest descriptions in all of God's Word of what Jesus took on for us, of what He endured for us that we might know and Live with him forever. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4, God's word there reads, Surely he, speaking of the Messiah who was to come, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here, this idea of peace is not simply some abstract quality wrapped up in the identity of the God that we worship, but 
He is a God who has acted in such a way to bring about peace in the lives of His people, that we might be reconciled to Him, that we might be restored to Him. Jesus suffered not for His own sins. He wasn't punished by God because He had done anything wrong. He was punished for our sins. Suffered for our transgressions, for our iniquities, that He might bring us peace. Folks, God restores our relationship with Him through the suffering of Jesus. God restores our relationship with Him through the suffering of Jesus. Church, this is the central message of of all of God's Word, that by His grace, God has provided a way for us to be reconciled to Him, to, to be restored to right relationship with Him, that we might forever experience the peace that comes from Him. Peace with, with our Maker. This is the message that we celebrate today and every Sunday as we gather together as the people of God. This is the message that we celebrate as we anticipate remembering the arrival of Emmanuel, God with us on that first Christmas. This is the message that we celebrate as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning and the message that reminds us to anticipate the return of our Lord who will come again and gather all of God's people to experience an eternal peace in His presence. Folks, through Jesus, God sovereignly and graciously provides eternal peace for sinners deserving His judgment. We see in God's Word here in Isaiah chapter 9 and chapter 53 in the context of God's all of God's word, that through Jesus, God sovereignly and graciously provides eternal peace for sinners like you and me, deserving of His judgment. You see, pride was not some problem just with Adam or with Eve. And pride is not just a, an Iranian problem or a Russian problem or an American problem or a terrorist problem. Pride is a human problem. And because pride is a human problem, all of us deal with it and struggle with it. And as a result, all of us ought to repent of pride before God. Repent of pride, repent of sin before God today. Turn away from sin and self and toward the sovereign God who graciously provides eternal peace for us through Jesus Christ. And repenting. Of sin and pride involves turning away from it and towards something else. So repent of, of pride and of sin and trust in the Savior. Trust in the Messiah. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government is on his shoulders. And he is called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, let's trust in the one who who was punished by God for us. Let's trust in the one who took up our pain and who bore our suffering. Let's trust in the one who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. Let's trust in Jesus who brought us peace. And once we've repented of our pride and trusted in the Savior, third and finally, church, we have every reason to rejoice in hope. Though the world is dark, church, we have hope in and through Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, our Redeemer and Friend, the Prince of Peace. We have hope because Jesus has come. And church, we have hope today because Jesus is 
coming again. And we have hope today because He has brought us peace. He has reconciled us to the Father, giving us a glimpse of the eternal peace that we will all experience as part of His kingdom. And as we remember the peace that He has brought us today, we have opportunity today to observe the Lord's Supper. As our deacons come who are serving this morning, to serve and to pass out the elements. Let me invite you to where you are to pause and take a moment to examine your heart before God, to repent of any, any sin that's unconfessed in your life today. Perhaps you've never turned to Christ for salvation. Perhaps you've never repented of sin. Let me, let me encourage you to do that today. Cry out to God for salvation where you are today. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. And even so, if you do know Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, I still invite you today as we observe this, this important event, as we remember, based on the instructions of our Lord, to what He has done for us, to confess any sin where you are before Him today. If you know Christ, if you've repented of your sin and you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, let me encourage you, regardless of whether or not you're a member of, of this local church to participate in the bread and the cup today. If you don't know Christ, I would ask that you abstain out of respect and reverence for our Lord and what we believe He has done uh, for us. In Luke chapter 22, we read about Jesus observing the Last Supper with His disciples. We read about Him sending Peter and John into the city to find a place for them to observe the Passover. Passover, you may know, was a festival that they observed to remember the Lord's passing over them as He struck down the firstborn in Egypt, as He delivered them from slavery. And can't help but, but think that the disciples, these followers of Jesus who were about to observe the Passover with Jesus, did not realize that all of this was coming to fulfillment ultimately in Jesus Christ and what He was about to do on the cross in their place. He told them before observing the elements. He said, I won't drink this fruit of the vine again with you until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let me invite you as we pass the elements now if to remain in a time of quiet worship where you are, of perhaps prayer, reflecting on Jesus and what He has done for us. We read in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, that Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture state in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. As we continue to remember the sacrifice of Christ, let me invite you to join me in prayer. Father, we are grateful as your people today. We're grateful for the opportunity to know you, to experience forgiveness in and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that you took the punishment for us. Father, that you accomplished for us what we never could do on our own, that you rescued us while we were still sinners. And so, Father, we remember the sacrifice of Christ today. We anticipate the return of Christ. 
in the enjoyment of your presence for all of eternity in your kingdom of peace. Father, guide us now as we continue to worship you, as we respond to your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things.